do thank you so much for this time we can spend together. Just pray, dear God, that you now open up our hearts, open up our minds. Father, that you, your Holy Spirit would move in this place and that you would be pleased with everything that we say and we do. But most of all, Lord God, that we would truly grasp the truths that you're going to share with us this morning through your word. We love you. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen. You know, I love Cincinnati. Okay, I do. I absolutely love Cincinnati. But there are times in the winter that it can get a little bit depressing around here. Right. It it gets gray. It it starts to get gray. The cloud cover starts to get gray and and it can stay gray for days, sometimes even weeks. And I know a lot of people like I'm getting so depressed. And our culture, if you think about it, lives in a world of gray. And to be honest, they seem pretty comfortable in their environment. They seem pretty comfortable where they are. We hear all the time that that truth is relative, right? And there are no absolutes. And that's the way people live their lives. It kind of, you know, truth is what they, they decide it should be. Living in a world where every decision that people make is based upon individual preference may seem fun to some people. Okay, it may seem it may seem fine to them. But what about those of us who are trying to follow Jesus? We're trying to follow Christ. How do we deal with issues that are often not directly addressed in Scripture? You know, in in a sense, what we would call those gray areas. How do we how do we make decisions when it's not specifically dictated, if you will, in scripture. And you go, well, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to come up with. How do we do that? In those cases, it's important that if you can't find a precept, okay, if you can't find a specific precept in scripture, then you need to seek out a sound biblical principle, principles, if you will, in the Bible to guide you. If there's no precept, then you need to find principles, biblically solid principles, that will help guide your decision. In general, you say, what's a precept? Okay, in general, a precept is any commandment, any commandment intended to be an authoritative rule of action applied particularly to moral conduct, okay? So it's like a command in Scripture that applies particularly to moral conduct. The Ten Commandments, if you will, are a perfect example, okay? The Ten Commandments, they're all laid out. There's no, you're not misunderstanding what's going on there. It says, thou shalt not, if you will. When we don't have precepts, the thou shalt not, that are right in our faces, we need to use wisdom, the wisdom of scriptural principles, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what that means is that the Bible gives us precepts and principles so that we can make the decisions that we need to make that will guide us and direct us. It is there. It is there either by thou shalt not absolute right there or by by biblical principles that lay out guidelines for us to follow. But that means, again, we need to study the word of God. We need to know the word of God and we need to put the pieces together to help guide us as we're making those difficult decisions. 
Some of those God-breathed principles are found in the book of 1 Corinthians. Really helpful, the book of 1 Corinthians. They, they can help you decide what to do when you face seasons of gray, where you're, you're struggling. I, I just don't, you know, I'm at work or I'm at school or I'm with my friends or I'm with, you know, people in my neighborhood or whatever the case may be. And, and the, people are asking me to do this. So they want me to get involved in that or, or this new thing is coming up in, 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 from a social standpoint in the, in the culture. How do, how do I know what's right and wrong here? It's really confusing. Okay, before we move on and we get into that, I need to be make this really clear. Very clear. Um, we struggle with gray areas. God does not. Okay, because something's gray to me and I'm confused. Because something's gray for you and you're confused, it doesn't mean God is confused at all. There is no gray with God because God judges our hearts and our desires and our motives cannot be hidden from God. God judges the heart. God judges the desires. God's not confused at all about what's right and wrong. And he's not confused at all of why we struggle with what's right and wrong. What are our motives? What is our heart? What is, why do we want to do this? What are our desires? Proverbs 16.2 says this, All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. What, you want to you really drive yourself crazy? I tried to do this for a month. I made it for like a week and I was like, golly, I'm going to stop because I don't feel too good about myself. I, you judge your motives. Why am I doing this? Why do I choose? And I've said this before, but I realize that even the things that I do that are really, you would say those are really good things. My motives were not totally pure in all of it. Even the things that are just flat out like, hey, help orphans and widows, whatever. There were still some pride motives that were mixed into why I did what I was doing. And so God judges the motives of the heart. God judges the desires. In Jeremiah 17, 10, we read, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. In Psalm 44, verse 21, it says, Would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. No one pulls anything over on God, okay? I mean, Satan can't read your mind, but God can. And God can read your heart. And God knows your motives. And God knows your desires. And he knows why you're making the decision that you're making, even though everyone else thinks it's based upon this reasoning. God knows it's based upon this reasoning. And so he judges our motives. Listen, here's the bottom line so far. If you're going to error, okay, if you're going to error, wow, should I do this? Should I, should I go left or should I go right? If you're going to error, err on the side of righteousness. Error on the side of righteousness, okay? Think it through. Don't look for you know, little loopholes. Or, think it through. Error on the side of righteousness. Make sure, make sure that you know God is judging your motives, but make sure you're judging your own motives. You're asking yourself, why am I choosing to do this or that? Why do I want to do this or that? Judge your own motives. See, we talk about this and we're going to keep talking. We're going to keep delving down and keep going layer by layer down. 
We need to judge. We need to have some self-reflection in our lives. You're never going to grow. Other people can't tell you, you need to change this and you need it. They can say it. But the only way you truly change is when you stand back and you have some self-reflection asking yourself, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep choosing this? And I know it's hard sometimes to get to the point where you realize, I got some issues. I'm, I'm not as good as I thought I was. But that's okay, because you're not going to get any better than you are until you self-reflect, until you look into your own heart, judge your own motives, because other people can't judge your motives. Only you can judge your own motives. Other people can't look into your heart. Only you can truly look into your heart. God can, obviously. But it's that self-reflection that's really going to make a difference in our lives. So as we move forward here, there are some questions. I'm going to go through some questions that we can ask ourselves. Like, okay, the why questions. But there are some questions we can ask ourselves that will, make, that will help us make wise decisions as we, as we try to um, figure out uh, and, and depend on those sound biblical principles. So we've we got to ask ourselves some questions that will help us make good decisions based on sound biblical principles. Okay, so let's look at 1 Corinthians. The first question is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. It says, I have the right. When you became a believer in Jesus Christ, the world really cracks me up because Christians can't do anything. You guys can't do anything. Here's the, here's the, here's, here's the news, the reality. When I asked Christ to come into my life, and I truly asked him to come into my life, okay, I, I am saved. And nothing can take that from me. I have freedom to do whatever I want to do. The reason I don't do, I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't do this and I'm not calling you a blah, 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 blah. And not because I don't have the freedom to do it. I'm not going to hell if I do it. The reason is because I love Christ so much. I love God so much for what he did for me. I want to be obedient to him. So I have freedom in Christ. Okay, it says, I have the right to do anything you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. When we face a gray area in our lives, we need to ask ourselves, first question, write this down. Will it strengthen me spiritually? I'm choosing to do this or to do this, to not or to. Okay. The question you've got to ask yourself is, will this strengthen me spiritually? Will this choice help me become more like Christ? Because that's the goal, right? The ultimate goal is to become more like Christ. He's our example. No one else is our example. He's our example. So will this choice make me become more, help me become more like Christ? Again, it's important that we take time for self-reflection. See, again, you've got to ask yourself, and you're not, this is going to be a worthless sermon if you don't do this. You've got to ask yourself, are you looking for a loophole or are you looking to become holy? Honestly, people say, like, you know, oh, you know, well, how far can I go with my girlfriend, blah, 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 blah. Wrong question. Because what you're asking is, how close to the edge can I get before I actually fall off? That's not it, it, the motive, okay? It's the motive. So are you looking for a loophole when you're making the decision to do this or do that? Or are you, are you truly seeking to become more like Christ? And again, you can fake, you can stare people right in the face with a tear coming down your face and fake people out. You can. People are, you know people like this. It boggles the mind, okay? 
But only you know what your motives are, and you've got to ask yourself, am I looking for a loophole here to get out of something so I can do something I probably shouldn't do, or am I truly looking to become holy? The next question is found in 1 Corinthians 6.12. 1 Corinthians 6.12 kind of sounds like the last one. It says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Listen to this. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. That is so... Ju- I'm going to do a whole sermon just on that, Okay. I will not be mastered by anything. So the next question is, will this master me? If I choose to do this, is it going to master me? Is it going to capture me? Is it going to pull me in? Is it going to hold me in bondage? Is it going to master me? Will this action or this behavior put me physically, emotionally, or spiritually in bondage? Okay. Should I, should, I, uh, should, I, should I do this drug? Well, everybody else is doing it. Let me do this drug. And all of a sudden you do this drug and boy, it, 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 it has mastered you. No longer, you're not, you're not doing it. You're not drinking or taking this drug or looking at pornography anymore because whatever else. It's mastered you and you have to. It pulls you in. It's no longer even, drinking sometimes for an alcoholic is no longer even, even fun. They do it because they must drink. My grandfather was an alcoholic. He must have that drink. He wasn't, he wasn't like, oh, yes, I'm just going to relax and have whatever. He needed it. It captured him. It mastered him. Does this thing, will this master you? Anything you need, if you say, uh, you, know, the, you know those buy drinks with the B-A-I, is that what they're, right? They're new. I like those. They're really good. But if I have to drink them every single day, twice a day, you think, well, big deal. It's good for you. It's antioxidant, whatever else. Yeah, but if I need it. <laughs> Right. I need to have my buy. I need to have my whatever it's called. I think it's called buy. I think it's what it sounds. If you need it, it masters you. Okay. if you get up, if you come home at night and say, oh, I just need my glass of whatever. You got to think about it. Any listen, here's a here's a principle. Any questionable practice that is habit forming should be avoided. Any questionable, if you're questioning it, should I, should, I, should I do this? Is this okay? Am I doing this too much or whatever? Any questionable habit or practice that becomes habit forming needs to be avoided. The next question is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? That God used to dwell in the temple, right? A physical dwelling. But now he dwells in these temples. All right. Who is in you? The Holy Spirit is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, okay? Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You are not your own. I, I belong to God. I gave my life to Christ. So my body belongs to him. It says, honor God with your bodies. You need to ask yourself, will my decision dishonor God, okay, dishonor God, or defile his temple right here, your body? Will it dishonor God or will it defile his temple? Okay, so most sexual choices fall into this category. Most of your sexual choices will fall into this category. Um, most of your, uh, most, any choices about drugs fall into this category. Um, how much you can, cons- how much alcohol you consume, okay, falls into this category. How much you eat or what you eat falls into this category. 
When you're, should I do this? I, am I eating too many uh, cheese doodles or whatever? I if, you know, all these things fall into this, this category. Is it, going to, is it going to dishonor God or defile his temple? Falls in this category. And, and honestly, I'm not saying if it's wrong. I like cheese doodles, okay? Maybe you like cheese doodles too. I'm not saying don't eat cheese doodles. I'm asking you, do you have to, you have to look for yourself? A few cheese doodles, watching a movie, fine. But eating, eating like six bags of cheese doodles while you're watching a movie, probably not a good thing. Not good for your body. We, we shouldn't do anything with our bodies that dishonors the Lord. Again, listen to it. You, you should not do anything that dishonors Christ because here's the thing. The Holy Spirit lives in you. This is his temple. He's in you. God is in you. So everything you choose to do, you're bringing God into that behavior. You're choosing to expose God to that behavior. That's pretty much biblical. No doubt about it. Okay? So we've got to think about you know, what we're doing and how we're treating God's temple. The next question we need to answer or ask ourselves is, it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 and 9 says this, but food does not bring us near to God. That was before they created graters. They wrote that, okay? Because once they created, I mean, it's like, come on, black raspberry chip. I've told you this before. The first time I put black raspberry chip ice cream from graters in my mouth, I just, my hands went up. I was like, your hands lifted high. I was like praising God, okay? That stuff is awesome, okay? But that's not the point. That's not the point. I just get carried away. So it, it, it says, it, it says, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. He's talking about, he's talking about most of Paul's talking about eating meat that was sacrificed to idols, right? As an older believer, it's like, I don't, God made the meat, God made the, and, and, and God made it, it is good, so I can eat it. But then you get other people who are new to the faith or not maybe non-Christians or baby Christians. And they they used to worship in that temple and they would sacrifice to that idol. And then they would eat that meat as a ritualistic thing. But even though they've given their lives to Christ, they're still struggling. So that's kind of the background. They would struggle a little bit. So a good principle to follow here is, oh, am I, should I do this in front of someone? Should I, should I, am I allowed to do this or am I allowed to do that in front of someone? The, a good principle to follow is don't use your freedom if it might cause someone else to sin. Don't use your freedom in some circumstances, okay, if it might cause someone else to sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, it says, therefore... If what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. The question you need to ask is, will my choice cause other people to stumble? I don't understand. I'll be, I'm just going to be blunt honest with you guys. I am so confused at why pastors, staff people in churches, older Christians, whatever, do not get this. This to me is like something I learned way, way on back when I was like 19 years old. I came to Christ when I was like at the end of my senior year, 17, just about to turn 18 years old. This, this concept was not confusing to me. This has become very confusing to some people and I don't understand it. Will my choice cause other people to stumble? Am I hurting 
other people around me by my choice? Is my choice causing someone else to sin? Is my choice causing someone else to stumble? Okay, here's Paul's issue. Most of the people have never really understood this, but here, here's Paul's issue. Will the person who's following my lead, okay, will they do it even if they feel it's wrong? So yet I'm an older Christian and I can choose to do this and it's not wrong. It just doesn't bother me and it's not wrong. I can go and sit down and do this, but they can't because they're struggling in some area. So should I do it? Here's the thing. Will they follow me even if they feel that it's wrong? All right. Now, these are now I'm going to get a little deeper here. So you've got to kind of follow along with me. Paul is saying here that they start down the road of making choices that violate their conscience it becomes easier and easier to keep making choices that will violate their conscience. This is huge, and this is a problem, okay? This is a problem. This is why so many people struggle and fall short sometimes, because they, they, they don't understand this concept. If a person thinks something's wrong, but they choose to do it anyway, they, they, they are violating their conscience. And if they violate their conscience on a smaller thing, then they can continue to violate their conscience on bigger and bigger things. If I thought something was wrong and I did it anyway, the next time will be something even greater, will be something even larger, because I'm kind of getting used to it. You know, I felt like that was the wrong thing to do, but I did it. And I kind of was struggling with, but I did it. And I, and, and I felt like this fear, was, but, but I still did it. The act itself may not be wrong, but the motives behind the decision are. Okay, you want to know why you talk, you, I, I read, a, I was reading a book one time about a serial killer. I got about two pages in, I nearly wanted to throw up, I put it away, I couldn't read it, it made me cry. And I thought, how could someone do that to someone else. I, my, my, my conscience, my, my spirit couldn't read anymore. It wasn't wrong for me to read it. I just couldn't do it. But here's the thing. You say, how could someone do that? Paul's concern here is that you don't dull your conscience. He doesn't want you to dull your conscience because a serial killer has dulled their conscience and dulled their conscience and dulled their conscience and then seared their conscience. Once the conscience is seared, they no longer have any feelings toward what they're doing. There's no longer anything inside them, outside them, speaking to them, telling them they've seared their conscience. A dulled conscience, though, for a believer, you can you can't sear it, but you can dull it. And when you dull your conscience, it enables you to do things that you normally wouldn't do. It leads you down a path. You dull your conscience, you dull your conscience, you, you know it's wrong, you dull your conscience, and all of a sudden, you're doing things that you normally wouldn't do or you shouldn't do. That's what Paul's concerned about. So the freedom that you have in Christ to drink, I'm not talking about getting drunk, I'm just saying to drink socially should, should be overridden by some circumstances, okay? It should, it, you, we, we should, we should that, that freedom should be overridden by some circumstances when it comes to maybe protecting your alcoholic or struggling friend. If I'm with, if you're with someone who you know is an alcoholic, who struggled with drugs in the past, who has that addictive personality, your freedom to have a drink or a beer or whatever else, you should curb that. 
Can you have it? Yes, you can. Should you have it? Should you put that person in a situation where now they're going to be struggling and they're maybe there? Well, just one, just one, just one could ruin them. But I get arguments over this and, I, and I, I, this is what I'm saying. It boggles the mind. The church is filled with people who struggle with drugs and alcohol. This, ch- this church, every church is filled with people who struggle at one time or another with drugs and alcohol. I am not going to be the one to lead you down the road where you get back into a struggle with drugs and alcohol. So I'm not saying it's wrong for you to have a glass of wine or have a beer or whatever when you're watching the game or something. But if you've got people around you know have struggled with that in the past, curb your freedom. That's all Paul is saying. Curb your freedom. We find our next question in Romans chapter and first Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians 10, 32 and 33 says, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, Paul's thinking about the other person first. That's what he's saying here. For I have for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. What is the most important thing? Your freedom to do whatever you feel like doing, knowing that, you know, I don't think that you you have the freedom to do it. But that's not really the issue. The issue is, is that leading someone closer into a relationship with Jesus Christ is the, the question basically is, will my choice cause, okay, help the cause of the gospel? Will my choice help the cause of the gospel? Will it bring people into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ? That's the question you need to ask when you're wondering, should I do this? Is it going to bring the people around you into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it going to help the cause of the gospel? We need to consider the effect. Listen, this is important too. I think a lost, this is a lost deal also. Is my choice going to negatively affect my testimony to those around me? I'm sorry. If I go to the movie theater, okay, and I come out, every time you see me at the movie theater, you come and see me walking out of R-rated movies. Or you, or, or, or you know, uh, whatever. You see, you see certain behavioral patterns. You're going, that's going to have an effect on you. It's going to have an effect on me, actually, and my testimony. I get up here and I say, you, you, guys, we really need to be careful of this. We really need to discipline ourselves here. We really shouldn't, you know, we got to be careful of our language and blah, 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 blah. And then you just walk. I'm just, I'm in the office dropping the F-bomb all the time. That's going to have a negative effect on my testimony. And the people who don't know the Lord, okay, have nothing. They have no idea about all this stuff that we talk about, the grace of God and everything. The grace of God didn't allow me to say that anyway, Okay. Uh, doesn't mean I'm going to hell. I'm just saying that God says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only was helpful for building others up according to, you know, that will help them build them up. So we need to make sure that is not affecting our personal testimony. Will question, will my decision draw people closer to Christ or push them further away? I'm going to read you something. This is so listen to this. Okay. And what we're talking about here is, okay, is language. I just talked about that. What language do I use when I'm around other people and I say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. Okay. What language am I using? Honestly, think about, I'm not just you. I am not here to tell you what music to listen to. That's your choice based upon what we just talked about. What kind of music, if you are with your friends in your car, what music are you playing? What is the guy saying about women? Okay. In that song, I like the beat. I don't care if you like the beat. What is he saying about women? What does he want to do to this woman? 
What does he want to do to this police officer? What does he want to do? What are they talking? What is the, what are the words saying? You have to critically evaluate the words that come out of your mouth. You need to critically evaluate the music you listen to. I am not going to tell you what music you have to listen to. I want you to critically evaluate that. What you watch, because here's why. Not my opinion. I, I'm going to back it up. Second Corinthians 5, verse, uh, verse 20 says this. Listen to this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That is powerful. That is scary. Because we become responsible for the people around us. When I started going to church, I had my church. I was 17 years old. Okay. Almost graduating. Second year, second half of my senior year. So I started going to church. And I had all my church youth group friends, about 60 students that I got to know and I got really close to. I loved them and I was older. I was probably one of the oldest people in the group. And I quickly, um, I was so on fire for Christ, I quickly moved up the rank of like leader in the group. And I had my church friends and then I had my apartment complex friends, right? One bedroom apart with my mom, all these people I had grown up with, they're much rougher crowd, much, you know, just think about it. You know, in New York, you got rougher, a lot of rougher crowd of kids in, 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 a, in a low income apartment complex. And I had both these groups. And so my church friends, when they turned 18, I don't know how there was 18 there, but they could go to this bar called Maximus and they could drink. And so my 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 non church friends, my non believing friends would come to me and they would say, hey, Greer. You go to that church, right? I said, yeah, yeah, it's really good. You should come. Oh, yeah. What's the point? I said, they say, your friends, this person, these guys go to your church too, right? They're in that group, right? Yeah, yeah, they are. Oh, they're drinking right alongside of us. They have, they're doing the same thing we're doing. Just, what's the difference? They, they just say to me, whatever. They say, whatever. They're, it's no different. And I go back to my church friend and say, listen, guys. You, you're, I didn't say you're Christ's ambassadors because I didn't actually know that at that point, but I said, you're, you're giving the wrong impression. Your, your testimony is poor. And they would say, well, you know, I'm not getting drunk. I only had one or two. I, I wasn't getting drunk. And I would say, yeah, but they don't know you're having one or two. They're not counting. You're just walking around with a beer and they're walking around with a beer and another beer and another beer and another beer and another beer. And they are, but you're not, but they don't know that. And what they would say to me, that's their problem. That's what they would say. All the people I knew, okay, everyone I knew didn't know Christ. And all of them are on their way into the pit, okay? And then these new friends that I have are telling me that's their problem. I'm sorry. What did I just read? Second, Second Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. I think it does matter. I think you are responsible for other people and how you, how you act. Are Christians perfect? No. No, we all make mistakes. We all fall short. We all, we all like blurt things out we shouldn't blurt out. We do things we shouldn't do sometimes. No one's perfect. That's fine. But when we make those mistakes, we should repent of those mistakes and ask for forgiveness. Not tell people it's their problem. It's their problem. And in, in this case, they weren't getting drunk. So you say, what's the point? This is the point, what I just described to you. You're leading other people in the wrong direction. You've got to know how to use your freedom. We find our final question in 1 Corinthians 10, 25 through 29. It contains three references that call us to keep a sensitive, us, us, not other people, to, call, to keep a sensitive conscience. 
This is about your conscience, not the other person's conscience. This is really, really important. We should ask ourselves, okay, ask ourselves, will this decision violate my conscience? Will this decision, if you're making a decision, will it violate my conscience? If we're not sure whether a choice is pleasing to God, we shouldn't do it. If you're not sure if this is pleasing, if this is going to please God, then err on the side of not doing it. Before we make any decision, we need to make sure our conscience is clear. As a believer in Christ, you need to make sure your conscience is clear and that this decision will not have a negative effect on your relationship with God. Conscience is so, so, so important. Let me, let me ask you a question. How does God speak to us? Think about it for a second. God speaks to us in two primary ways, through the word of God and through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so you have the word of God. God speaks you through his word. He also speaks to you through the Holy Spirit in order to hear the spirit. And this is where some of you really struggle in order to hear the spirit. You need to have a sensitive conscience. You need to train your conscience to hear the spirit of God. So your conscience needs to continually be sensitive. Like I said in the beginning. Decisions in gray areas usually come down to the heart and the motives of the person making the decision. If you want to make sure your decisions are good ones and right ones, your your conscience needs to be sensitive. You need to train your conscience to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You say, I can't hear God speaking to me. Again, have you trained your conscience or have you dulled your conscience? Have you dulled your conscience? We need to train our conscience. Remember what I said in Proverbs 16 too. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 helps us summarize all these principles by saying this. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, let me say that again. Whatever you do, whatever you choose to do, do it all to the glory of God. When Kim and Jen, our girls, were younger, we did a catechism with them. The first three questions of the catechism were, was, uh, who made you? God. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make all things? For his glory. For his glory. The most important question you will ever, ever ask in your entire life is, will my choice bring glory to God? Will my choice bring glory to God? That's the question we all need to answer. These are gray areas for some of us, and we're like, should I do this? Then this sums it, this sums it all up. Will this choice bring glory to God? That is always the overriding thought in any decision. The, always the overriding thought. If you can't answer yes, if you can't be sure, then you need to go back and you need to, to, to reflect even more. If you can't say yes for sure, this, will bring, this choice will bring glory to God, then you need to go back and you need to reflect on it again. I want to close with a time of communion. Okay, we're going to have communion this morning. Because as we decide on the choices we make, communion is about remembering. We need to remember the choice that Jesus Christ made on the cross for us. As we decide and make choices, we need to remember the choice that God made for us. Now, 
I'm going to I'm going to read from first Corinthians chapter 11. OK, starting at uh, chapter 11, starting at verse 23. Now, before I say this, if if you're never been to our church before, deep breath. OK, no, don't stress at all. Uh, you don't have to take communion. You can sit right in your seat. People are going to get up. It's not the path that we don't pass that plate around. You sit there and people. Well, why didn't she take it? Why didn't he take it? What we do is we have it set up in the back. People get up at different times and go back there. No one knows who got up or who didn't get up. All right. If you are a follower of Jesus, then we welcome you to take communion with us. If not, just relax, sit in your seat. Not a problem. Okay, not a problem at all. No stress. I don't want anybody stressing out here. So I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. After I read, I'm going to pray. After I pray, after I'm done praying, you can get up as the, as, as the Spirit leads you. Go to the back. You take the cup and you take the bread. You can come sit back down. You can come up here and kneel, whatever you'd like to do. All right. You, and you don't have to wait for anybody else to drink the cup and, and eat the bread. You don't have to wait. Just pray over it. You know, make sure you're praying and then you can take the cup you can drink the cup and eat the bread. You don't have to wait for anybody else. And then I'll close this in prayer at the end. So in first Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23, it says, for I see from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, we thank you for this time we can spend together. God, I know this is hard stuff. These gray areas, Lord, they're hard. If we truly want to seek after you, we truly want to become more like your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us on the cross. This is tough to sometimes not do certain things that we, we don't feel are wrong. We, we're not doing anything wrong, but it may have a negative effect on someone else. We're thinking of other people first is really hard considering their feelings and what they're struggling. It's hard, Lord. And, and so we thank you for your son, Jesus, who gives us the power, gives us the knowledge, gives us the understanding, has sent his spirit into our lives to help us make these tough choices. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending your son for us. Thank you for his body, which was broken for us. That we could have a relationship with you that we could have a personal relationship with a living God because of what he did on the cross for us. We don't have to be alone. We don't have to do this life alone. We don't have to answer all these questions of life alone because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Thank you for his body and thank you for the blood that he shed for us on the cross. That blood shed means that our sins are completely covered because of what he did. And when he, when God, Father, when you see us, you no longer see us because you see your son standing in front of us. That's why we have freedom. And Father, we thank you for that blood because because of the blood of Christ, we can enter into your presence. We can ha- I can have a conversation with you right now because of what Christ did for me. And I thank you for that, that I can enter into the Holy of Holies. So we pray, dear God, that this morning, through all of this, that we would offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you that we would make choices that were holy and pleasing to you, that our choices would bring you glory because of what you have done for us. 
And if we're going to err, we want to err on the side of righteousness because of what you have done for us. You're awesome. You're amazing. We love you. And we want to make choices that please you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.